Father in heaven, we thank thee for your goodness and grace bestowed upon us once again. We thank you for the food, the fellowship, the singing. May it all be redounding to your glory. Your word tells us that whatever we do, whether we eat, drink, we should all do it to the honour and glory of God. Now we, Father, pray for your word once again, that you would bless us with it and open our hearts to be recipients as well as doers of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the epistle of Peter, chapter 3. The first epistle of Peter, the apostle, chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Well, they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be outward, adorning of plaiting of hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a quiet, meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women of also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye dwell, do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour to the wife <clears throat> as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, know that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye, but if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give a good answer to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness 
and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better that if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. I've read up to and including verse 18. We've read this chapter quite often, and it's um, just like any scripture given to us, it is good that we reread it because we do forget. I uh, confess that I, I forget a lot unless I read over the scripture over and over. And the Apostle Paul says, when he repeats things to his church, for him it's not grievous that he has to repeat them. It doesn't grieve him that he has to repeat them. But for us it's beneficial. And so I trust that just reading through this will remind us of the things we already knew and we may have known but we may not be performing them as we should. The first portion of this scripture, um, he begins with likewise, following up from what he has been saying in the past chapter, leading up to this. This is an epistle written to this, the believers that were scattered throughout um, Asia Minor. Cappadocia, Galatia, Bithynia, Pontus, and reminding them of their calling in Christ and how they should conduct themselves in this, amidst this perverse generation in which they live, so that by their example they may refute um, the accusations of the heathen that are around about them. And he talks about submitting in chapter 2 to every ordinance of man. He talks about whether it's governors. He talks about not using the freedom we have with a, using a cloak of maliciousness, some kind of a, uh, a way that we can hide our evil behavior, saying this is a freedom, this is my liberty, this is my right, but in using that instead to to do the things that are not right. Talks about subject, uh, servants being subject to um, their masters, almost as resembling what the Apostle Paul does in his own letters to the Ephesians and um, Timothy and so forth. And so he says, likewise, the wives need to be subject. So it's gone down to you know, being subject to governors, subject the servants to their masters, and now, likewise, wives be in subjection to your own husbands. So God has given us an authority structure. We can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he talks about the head of the woman is the man, the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. 
This is not a suggestion. This is, this is doctrine, this is teaching. The authority and the line of rule, if you will, the authority in, in, in God's universe. And for this reason, the woman should be wearing a head covering to show that subjection to the husband, her head. And it says that wives should be in subjection to your husbands and if any is not a believer, if there is a husband that is not a believer of a, of a believing wife, that through the example given by subjection to God's law, to God's will, first, the husband can see that the wife is being, if you will, ruled by a, a higher being that the reason this wife is being subject to her husband is not for the, the sake of the husband himself, but because this is what God requires her to do. That's her authority. And so being, being subject to him, if perchance, if perchance through her godly behavior, it will convict him of behaving becomingly, behaving, conducting himself in love and reverence or, or, or respect to her, towards his wife. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this, Paul is a different apostle. He's a, the apostle to the, uh, to the Gentiles, but he's saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When he talks about the different marital relationships on how one should behave and conduct themselves with their spouse. He's saying in, in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 7, um, beginning verse 10, And unto the married I command you, and yet not I, but the Lord commands you, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. This is a, a clear teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 5, and in the book of Luke, he repeats very similar instructions by Christ that a man is not to put away his wife uh, it's, it's, it's strictly forbidden unless if there's a case of uh, adultery or marital unfaithfulness, uh, sexual immorality, it's the only way that um, a man can put away his wife. Otherwise, he'll be committing adultery uh, and she'll be committing adultery to whoever she marries. But here he talks about, but if... if she depart, let her remain unmarried. If something happens in her, her life that makes her so-called life unbearable, um, that she does depart, she separates, she should still remain unmarried. She should still hold to the fact that God can make reparations, that God can make a redemptive situation out of this. 
that there can be a reconciliation that comes back. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any man or brother have a wife that, pleased, that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. I'm sort of digressing here, but showing you the relationships uh, that go on between husband and wife, that could go on between husband and wife. Uh, and it says, And to the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and this is the one that we're looking at, the one in in. 1 Peter chapter 3, if a wife has a husband that doesn't believe, is not a believer, is not a Christian, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. God acknowledges the sanctity of marriage, whether you're both believing or one is a not believing and the other one is because it, it maintains the the the, uh, the the solidarity and the unity of the family unit and that before God is a sanctified position but then he says but if the unbelieving depart let him depart a brother or sister is not under such under bondage in such cases but God hath called us to peace then he says for what what do you know if your, if your wife departs? What do you know? Or your husband departs, he's unbelieving. How do you know that you can still save your husband? By your conduct. By your sanctified conduct. He's saying the same thing as, Peter, as he's in Peter. You could win that husband over. You could win that wife over. Many today will just say, call it quits. You know, that's it. Uh, I'm going to have nothing to do with it. We can't get along. Unreconcilable differences. And they, they leave. But that's not what Paul says and that's not what Peter says. Peter says there is an opportunity to win back the husband that's unbelieving or the wife that's unbelieving. How do you know, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But God has distributed to every man. As the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. This is the instruction Paul gives to the all, all the churches, not just a particular situation in Corinth. He says, but God hath called us to peace. When there is difficulties, when there are difficulties, uh, God says... You can work them out with God's grace. You don't know whether the husband's going to change or not. And so remain unmarried, but work out your differences. And perhaps with God's grace, the marriage can be resolved. And um, you could win over the husband by your godly example. This is, these are not my words. These are the words of the Lord. Let me read them again. Likewise, ye wives, being subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. While they hold, while they behold, the husband behold, the husband sees, observes your chaste conversation, your chaste conduct, coupled with fear. And then it says, Whose adorning of the wife 
Let it be not one that is outwardly ostentatious with the wearing of gold, uh, costly apparel, uh, braided hair with all the tinkly stuff they used to put in, in those days, the, the, the gold ribbons, whatever they were. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of a great price. People today, they spend all money for trinkets and, 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 and things to adorn themselves with, gold and hair up in all kinds of um, ostentatious styles. And he said, that is not the beauty that God wants to see of someone of, that, is, that is professing to be Christ-like. He says, not the wearing of these things, but what should really adorn a woman. What should really adorn a woman is that which is inside the woman. And then the man, he's just speaking now the man or the woman here. But what is inside is what makes someone beautiful. You could be the most gorgeous man or the gorgeous woman. But if your insides are rotten, they separate very quickly. There's divorce rates are huge amongst celebrities who are glamorous. They've got everything, looks, money, possessions, and yet the divorce rate is horrendous. Why? Because the real beauty is what lies inside our hearts. That should adorn us. That's what should be what beautifies us. And God calls it an amique and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of men, no, which in the sight of God is of a great price. Have we ever thought about that? We could have everything, looks, glamour, possessions, money, Houses, cars, but if the in man, inward man is corrupt, is evil, it means nothing. It's actually a liability as far as God is concerned. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also trusted in God and adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. God sees that as of a great price. When we can live in harmony with one another, uh, as, as Ephesians says, that we should be subject one to another, God sees that of a great price. And the role models that were given to us for that was Abraham and Sarah. It says even Sarah called Abraham Lord in Genesis 18:12. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Would you get that today in our house? That your wife will call you Lord, I doubt it. I think the culture's changed, but back then, um, Sarah called Abraham Lord when she laughed about, you know, whether she was going to get a, a, a bear a son. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, 
giving honour unto the wife as unto a weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Oh, what a beautiful statement that is. The grace of life. Being heirs together of the grace of life. Is he talking about marriage is the grace of life? We are heirs together of the grace that comes from a harmonious marriage because it actually represents, it's a picture of Christ and his church, as it says in Ephesians chapter chapter 5. And he calls the wife the weaker vessel. And the husband needs to live according to knowledge. In other words, knowing that she's of a different composition, if you will, in her mind, in her intellect, in her emotions, in the choices that we live according to knowledge. Sometimes we live ignorantly. We say things that we shouldn't say. We think that everything should go according to what I, the husband, say. But we have to remember, subject one to another. And here's a word that I learned recently, a different connotation for giving honor. Giving honor to the wife. What does that mean? If you look at the word, it's time. Time. Giving value. Giving value to your spouse. Showing that she's valuable to you. She's precious, in other words. You know, when the scripture says that the elders that rule among you, they should deserve double honor, people would think, well, that means double respect. But I think the common understanding of that is that they should be compensated for their work because he says in another place in, in Timothy that you shouldn't muzzle the, the mouth of the ox that's, that treads out the corn. It's not that I am looking for anything like that, but I'm giving you the, the, um, the connotation for honour. He talks about price and value. And in this case, I believe it means that, that the Lord is saying that we should give we should consider our wives and husbands that we should value them. When we value them, we say they're precious to us and we, don't, we will not do anything that would in any way threaten that relationship where the value is lost. You know, and when you, when you extend that, Shouldn't that be with each other? Shouldn't that be with the members of the congregation? That we should value them? You know, Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, we don't say of the, of, the, uh, of the foot or the hand, I don't have any need of you, because I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the leg or I'm the eye, I'm the mouth, but I don't have a need of the foot. You have no value to me. Every single member in the body of Jesus Christ is of value. And we are to respect each other. We are to, to honour one another in that way. We should show value. It says, those that rule among you, well, 
They deserve double honour. I'm not seeking it. The ministers aren't seeking it. It would be nice to have. But this is the what God has instituted in his household, the, the authority structure, the, 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 how he organises his church, and how he expects it to function in a way that would be glorifying his name, especially when it comes to how the church is viewed by the outside world. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. When I looked at that um, word, compassion and pity, um, the word, I believe, for compassion is, is sympathy in English. In the Greek is sum pathos. And, and have sympathy for one another. Feel for one another. Know what they're going through. Empathy is slightly different and stronger. But we should not, not just know of their need, but be willing to do something about it. So we should have compassion one upon another and love one another as brethren. Be pitiful. You know, pity is, um, may look like, you know, you just look at someone and, and say, oh, I pity that person and walk off. It's sort of cold. But being willing to do something about it is what God wants us to do, to do something about the situation. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering for evil, evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, opposite to that, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. When we recompense evil for evil, we don't get a blessing. When we overcome evil with good, we get a blessing. But we don't believe that sometimes. Sometimes we think if I, if I revile someone because he reviled me, that'll teach him a lesson. No, he said, you don't get a blessing out of that. That's not the Beatitudes attitude. That is not a teaching of Christ in the Sermon of the Mount. He talked about being meek, meaning non uh, retaliatory, not taking retribution on someone that's done you evil or said evil against you, but pray for them that, and that, that say all manner of evil against you and falsely accuse you and despitefully use you. Pray for them. And here's one. We came across this last week, I believe. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. This is Peter the Apostle. I believe he's alluding to Psalm 34. We read about that last week. They didn't have, they didn't have scriptures in those times. They wrote scripture. The apostles wrote scripture, but they never had scriptures to look back to except for the Old Testament. They never had the New Testament. So they went back to the Old Testament. They went back to the uh, book of Psalms. And he says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. You get away with good days and peaceful days as, as long as you keep your tongue from saying bad things about other people. 
You can go all the way to James chapter 3. Almost half the chapter is dedicated to, to evil speaking, to gossip. How it's a, it's a world of iniquity when we say things and we gossip about, about people and speak evil. That is not the mind of Christ. That is not what Christ would do. Let him stew evil. Let him hate evil. Stay away from evil. Do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. This again comes from the book of Psalms. He's referring back to the Psalms that he knew. Let him seek peace. Again, this is a, another teaching from Jesus. We should not just love peace, but we should make peace. Be a peacemaker, not a peace, just a peace lover. We should be active in making peace, in making right with those that we made wrong with. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God is viewing us. God is looking at us. God is not only seeking if there's anyone seeking him, but God is looking at us. How are we behaving as his children? How are we conducting ourselves as his children? Are we magnifying him? Are we reflecting who God is? And who, he, he, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? If we are obedient to God and do his will, who can harm you? Romans chapter 8 talks about if God be for us, who can be against us? But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Uh, Peter was a good student. He listened to the Sermon on the Mount. You can see it all coming out now in his pastoral letter. If you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always keep the Lord sanctified in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to testify of who your God is, who is your Lord. And let's make sure that our, that our mouth matches our actions. That what we say, who, who we believe God is to us, that our actions reflect that. That if we say we love God, do we keep his commandments? That we say if we honour God, do we use his name in vain? That we say God is holy, are we holy as he is holy, the scripture says. And having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers... They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conduct or conversation in Christ. For Christ has also once sinned, suffered for sins. He suffered for sin. We should suffer also, though we are sinned against, that we may reflect Christ and be that good testimony of him that lies within us in our hearts. So... This is the Apostle Peter before he, probably close to the end of his life, summarizing what are the important things that we as believers need to exhibit, profess, and believe. And if we do all those three things, we will be living out the Sermon on the Mount. 
We will be reflecting Jesus Christ. We will be showing this world that we are the children of our Father, who is God. To him be the glory evermore. Thankful that despite so many that went to camp, we have more than two or three here today that we could praise and worship God with. And that being here, we could be uplifted and encouraged. Um, the early church may not have gathered more than what we are here today in different groups because of persecution in secrecy. But as long as God is with us in our midst, he can bless and he can give the increase. To that end, may God bless each and every one of us. To him be the glory evermore. This concludes our service. Amen.